Welcome. This is One Christian, One Topic. Today, our guest is Diego Ramirez. Today's topic, missionary work. Let's get to it. Diego, you are with Mary No, which is described as an international Catholic missionary movement. How do you define or redefine missionary work? Well, yes, um, my name is uh, Diego Ramirez. I am a seminarian for uh, Marino Fathers and Brothers. Um, we are the Catholic Foreign Mission Society of America, and uh, we've been around for more than 100 years. Our founders were Bishop Walsh and Father Price, who had a dream of um, sending missionaries overseas uh, for the missions. Uh, our first mission was in China and uh, parts of Asia, and eventually, um, you know, it spread all over the world. Um, I just had the opportunity of uh, being on my overseas mission experience, which is part of our formation program um, here with Marinol. Once you have your philosophy degree uh, done, then you go into a one-year spirituality program. Um, it's not really like a novitiate like other congregations will do because, um, we are not a we're not a religious congregation. We don't um, make uh, vows like you know um, formal religious um, congregations do. But we are not diocesan either. We're just a, a society of apostolic life. So we do uh, this spirituality year, and after that, we have a two-year uh, program where the candidates are sent overseas. Uh, for a mission experience. And for myself, this took place in Cochabamba, Bolivia. So I was there for um, a two-year period. Um, I came back to the U.S. Um, August of last year. So I've, I've, been, I've been back for, for uh, almost a year now, uh, now finishing up my theological studies. Nowadays, what, what does being a missionary mean? Well, first of all, um, I've said this before in many places and people kind of just look at me and say, what are you saying? I tell people, well, the word missions or missionary, I think is, it shouldn't be no longer used. It is outdated. You know, that was, you know, from the, from the 1500s, maybe till 1970, 1965. After that, the word missionary um, just brings a, a very, how can I say it, a wrong idea of, of what being a missionary is. You know, people think that being a missionary is going out there to, you know, the desert lands of Africa or the jungles of Latin America or, you know, um, unknown places of, of, of Asia to make people Christian, you know, like back in the days where they had the pagan baby come, you know, the pagan babies, you know, ransom the pagan babies of Asia, ransom the pagan babies of Africa or Latin America. And I mean, it was useful for the time, but you know, 2022, you know, what, what really is, is it being a missionary or what really, what are the missions? And I tell people, well, uh, missionaries, that word is no longer needed. You know, 
as missionaries, we are no longer there to convert people. We are there to be companions in the journey of the people. We're there to learn. We are students. We are not the teachers. You know, we don't, we don't get off the plane with the Bible on the right and the crucifix on the left and say, you'll have to repent. Here's Jesus Christ. Here's the Bible. Here's the rosary. That's over. You know, you mean you are there to learn from the people. You're, you're a guest of their culture. You're a guest uh, of, of their own uh, villages, of their own towns. And like I said, you are not bringing God. God was there since the beginning of the world. Some people say, oh, yeah, the, the, the missionaries brought us a faith. Brought us, the faith was already there. Maybe the God was not the same, was not named the same, but it was the same God. It was the same God creator of all. You know, people in South America can call it Pachamama. People in Central America can call it Ushlan. People in Africa can have it, but it's the same God. You know, humanity has had this longing for, for, for God since they were created. So, like I said, we are not taking God to any villages. We are not taking God to any culture because God was already there. So, like I said, um, in my own experience, like, you know, being in Bolivia, um, upon my arrival, I, I learned uh, one of the native uh, languages, which is Quechua. Um, I'm a, I'm a, a native uh, Spanish speaker. So uh, being in Bolivia, to me at first, was not really matching up because I said, you know, I'm, I'm not being challenged. I'm, I'm in a country that's, you know, speaks Spanish in a country that's, you know, Latin American country, uh, like the way I grew up. But then, like I said, you know, I, I, I engaged in um, learning the native language of, of the people, which is spoken, I would say, for about maybe 60 to 70 percent of, of, um, uh, of the population in Bolivia. And that was a, um, an awesome experience, you know, being able to ministry, um, minister to the people in, in their own languages, because even the local clergy, priests and brothers and sisters, the majority of them did not speak uh, Quechua, even though they were uh, Bolivian born. Um, there's a cultural, how would I say it, dilemma with uh, speaking the the the, the the ancient tongues, people don't want to do it anymore. Um, so they're kind of losing uh, that part of their, their ancestry and their culture. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I was there for, for two years and I was able to learn Quechua and I was able to also work in the medical field. Um, I am a doctor uh, before coming into Marinal. I had a medical degree in forensic sciences. Um, so well, upon my arrival in Bolivia, a couple months later, I would say about six months later, that's when the pandemic um, struck the, the region where I was. And uh, I was able to get my credentials transferred um, to the Bolivian um, healthcare system. And uh, I was doing, um, I was ministering to the people of the small towns out of the cities where really nobody wanted to go. And that's what I was doing pretty much, like I said, for about a year and a half. And 
I mean, I don't want to say that that's like the greatest thing that you can ever do, but I think it's it's just a way of being a friend to the people. It's just a really, um, it's it's a way of approaching necessity. You know, th that that's one of the things that our founding fathers um, always, you know, would would write on their letters. That was something that they would always encourage the missioners, and they would always tell us, "Be flexible." What what does flexible mean? To them, flexibility meant that you have to accommodate to the necessities of the people, of the time, of the place. If you're traveling to a place where water is needed, well, get to work to get the water to the people. If you go to a place where a school is needed, well, guess what your work is going to be? Getting that school in there, you know. Um, like I said, because sometimes when we think about mission work is, oh, you're going to be in the parish, you're going to be saying mass, you're going to be converting people, you're going to be baptizing a whole lot of children, and you're going to be preaching the rosary and Virgin Mary and the saints and the church. And that's really nice. And that's really good. I'm not saying it's, it's, it shouldn't be done. But um, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, social structures that also have to be covered in order you cannot preach, um, you know, the God of uh, forgiveness if you yourself are not an example of forgiveness. You cannot um, preach, you know, a God that is willing to feed the people if the people are hungry. You know, things like that. You, we have to be, uh, we have to work hand by hand with the people so that the gospel can have a much more clearer message to them. And I think Marinol has been great on doing that for the last 100 years, you know, working um, in social structures so that people can see that a priest, a brother, a religious is not only uh, there for the sacraments, uh, for the spiritual part, but also as a friend that is building the community with them at the same time. And I think that that's, that's what people really like about, um, you know, the, the, the missionary work that Marinol has done uh, throughout the years that we've been with them in solidarity in good and bad times. I totally agree with kind of that perspective. And I feel like that's kind of the new message and is needed uh in the world kind of when you know whatever country you're in you're thinking of that former evangelization or kind of missionary work like that initial mindset is needed um before you know we ever begin begin that that work you spoke about learning and i think i think kind of your approach is kind of correct or is is what is needed you talk about learning the local language, but can you also speak about what other things that you found out or you had to kind of make that step, like let's say getting used to the local food, you know, getting used to, let's say, um, the local clothing outfit, you know, uh, like can you speak about those different elements that sometimes may not come into a person's mind when just thinking about like what it means to be a missionary? Uh, wh like what are those small details that kind of uh, you, you've experienced, you, you have to experience in order to kind of, you know, get to 
uh, enter into that kind of a community? Yes, um, you know, this is, it's, it's, it's good, you know, to talk about this because this is, you know, just touching reality, really what it is. Um, speaking, first of all, of the food in, um, in Bolivia, um, the food in Bolivia is, is, it's very, very high in calories. You know, this is one of the world's uh, highest, um, how would I say it, countries, um, you know, above sea level, like we are way up there. So a lot of fruits and vegetables, I mean, you don't find them. Uh, and what you find is a lot of potatoes. You know, Bolivia is, it's the land of potatoes. And literally potatoes are in the table morning, uh, day and night. Every time you sit on the table, you're going to have potatoes, different kinds. There's more than, I believe, 80 types of different potatoes. And um, there's one in particular that is called chuño. It's a type of potato that they will cut it up and they will dry it. And this potato can be stored up for years. I mean, 10, 12 years. So during hard times, you know, winter when literally there's no harvest, they will pull out this dried potatoes, soak them in water for a whole night and then cook them the next morning. Um, I, I thought, yeah, when, when I was there, I think the second day when I was there, that's, that's, that's what I had because it's a very uh, traditional um, food of, of Bolivia. Rice, um, it's also very common. And one thing that really shocked me was here in the U.S. and, you know, also in many places of the world, we have guinea pigs as pets. Well, in Bolivia, they're not pets. In Bolivia, they are food. <laughs> so to me, um, you know, eating a, a, a guinea pig was, um, was uh, kind of hard. <laughs> but, you know, I got used to it. That's, that's the food. I mean, you're going to find pretty much everything that, you're used to here in, in the United States of America and in other places, but that's like the most common thing that you're going to have on the table uh, day by day. It's potatoes, rice, I mean, plain boiled rice and plain boiled potatoes with some kind of uh, fried meat on top and eggs. You know, that's pretty much the diet. Uh, I lost more than a hundred pounds in the two year period. To be exactly, I lost 144 pounds in two years. That was good for me, <laughs> by the way. And well, when it comes to the clothing, um, wait, can I, can I can I stop you? So yes. wait, I, I just want to clarify. So you're saying the food was high calorie? Yes. But you lost weight because you weren't able to eat that much high calorie, or because even with the high calorie, it wasn't enough daily calories for you. Like, what was that? Um, I really believe that the altitude has a lot to do with um, weight because even though people eat excessive amounts of calories, people are very fit. And I mean, you can tell, I mean, the population in general is very fit. And there's, there's studies that say that, the, that the, the altitude has a lot to do with this because your body needs, um, your, your body, let's say, needs more energy. It needs more, um, more fuel, you know, to, to do your daily, to do your, uh, you know, 
your daily chores on such a high altitude. I mean, even your breathing, you, you have to breathe deeper to, to, to get air. So that, that really takes more calories. And it's not like in the U.S. you walk to, to, to every single place. It's, you do a lot of physical activity. Yes. So you're okay with kind of approaching the, the diet, the eating customs and just kind of, or for, for you, was there kind of a period of setting your mind to like, this is what I'm going to eat, this is what I have to eat? Or were you kind of okay with kind of just going in uh, from the get-go? Oh, no, it, it, it was difficult for me. Um, I'll be truly honest. In the two years, I never got used to the diet. I never got used to the food. Um, you know, another thing was that uh, I lost a lot of weight because, you know, like I said, I was, I was ministering to the people right in the pandemic and I would have 16, 15 hour shifts at the hospital and then go out and then my phone would just go crazy with calls from people wanting, wanting for me to go to their homes uh, for home visits because the hospitals were crowded. There was no, you know, no place for them. And I would just try my very, very best to, to do whatever I could. Uh, on visit people on the way home. So yes, I had very limited hours for, it was like literally 30 minutes to eat, 20 minutes to take a shower and do whatever you got to do and then sleep because you got to wake up and you have uh, uh, to go, um, go go to the hospital again. Like I said, but the the food was, was uh, never my, you know, the coolest part of my mission, you know, but you know, I survived. But like I said, also, uh, it, it was good. It was good for me to lose that weight because um, I was not doing very well with my weight. So it, it was a good experience. And I think I cut you off beforehand. I think you're also then mentioning the other aspects of, you know, once you enter into the local community, what were the other elements? You know, food's one, language is another. Like, what were the other things you kind of realized you had to make that adjustment? Um now being into a new community. Well, yes, like I said, when I finished my language um, school in, uh, in Cochabamba, which is the city, um, Cochabamba has a beautiful weather. It's about 68 to 75 degrees year long. It'll get a little bit cooler, a little bit hotter than that, but it'll just be on those, you know, regularly. That's, that's the, the weather really nice. But then once you get out of Cochabamba and you go what is called the High Valley, going towards the Peruvian border, that's where it gets really cold. That's where the Andean mountains um, are located. And that's exactly where I was working. It was called Municipalidad de Vacas. This was a, a Quechua settlement. Um, people there spoke very little Spanish. The majority of them just spoke Quechua. There was a, a native um, Bolivian Quechua priest who was the pastor there, who was a French Marinal. So uh, he said, well, bring him over. You know, so I was, I was with him uh, for a period of time. Like I said, this is a, a whole different setting. It's way up in the Andean mountains where every single day it's really cold, very, very cold. And uh, uh, people there don't wear like like cotton clothing. You know, their their clothing is made from llama wool. So people um, have large herds of llama, llamas, and 
the women during the day, you know, they take them out to the pastures for them to feed. And they, they pluck the hair out of the llamas and they'll put them in this um, bag and they'll start threading it. They're still making um, this thread. And once they have enough, they'll start knitting. They, they make hats, you know, the traditional Indian hats, the, the one with the, they're like pointy on the top. They have these two little flaps on the side. Those are called chulos. And, you know, you must have one because once, you know, the sun uh, comes down or, you know, at night, early in the morning, I mean, you, you really need it to cover your ears, to cover your head. And then we would also wear what they're, they're called uh, ponchos. It's a, it's sort of like a blanket that goes, um, you know, from the top of your head all the way um, to your knees. And it's also made out of llama wool. Um, you need good thick socks and you also need um, rubber boots because it's also very, um, it's very wet. The soil is always wet. So getting used to that was also, you know, a challenge for me because uh, I come from a very, well, I, I, should, I, should, I come from the desert of Mexico, literally, where it's hot all year long. You have rattlesnakes and tumbleweeds flying around and things like that. And, uh, you know, being used to that kind of weather and then I'm going to the cold and humid weather of the valleys of, of, of Bolivia was was a was a, a drastic change for me but you know eventually I, I i i liked it you know when it was time for me to come back um i really wanted to stay i really wanted to stay for 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 more uh adventures there in uh in the valleys of high valleys of uh, bolivia what was your starting point um when you arrived at bolivia like did you pack up big load of kind of a suitcase kind of clothes in your mind prepping the clothes you would need to take or did you have no suitcase no luggage and this was like whatever clothes I need I'll get it there like how, how did you personally approach that kind of my uh, situation yes um you know when when they told me that I was going to be assigned to Bolivia and, you know, Cochabamba, which is where Marinol um, keeps the, you know, the, the central house of the, the center for all missionaries. I kind of did some research, you know, to see, you know, the, the weather and everything else. Like I said, it seemed to be a really nice place when it came to weather. So I just took uh, three pants, three shirts, one pair of uh, shoes. That's it, you know, three of everything. And I said, yeah, whatever I'll need, I mean, I'll get it there. Because um, I believe that when, you know, as the life of a, of, of a missioner, of, of a companion, of, of a student is, you got to really watch out for the things that, that you take to a place. You know, um, one time a priest told me just whatever, whenever you're moved from one place to the other, look at the things that you brought in because the day that you leave, that's what you're taking. No more than that. Whatever you accumulate in the years that you're there, that stays there. I mean, you don't travel from place to place, just gathering and gathering, gathering. No, if you got here, 
with a suitcase the late the day that you leave you leave with one suitcase and believe it it's just incredible the amounts of things that you can accumulate in in one year or two it's like oh my goodness where's where's all this gonna fit well guess what you're gonna have to make up your mind what are the things that are going back with you just just the way you came in that's the way you're walking out so yes um being being uh, uh um in bolivia for for those two years yeah all of my clothing and shoes um i bought them at you know bolivia has has really good uh clothing and shoe industry either they come from peru or they're local or they come from brazil but that that's really no issue yeah i think there's some i'm not sure if the word is theological lessons in that the mindset of people of us always want to grasp and control and hold on to things where sometimes you know like in god it's you know you gotta let it flow through you you know be be open to receive and be open to let it go as kind of god provides you know we can accept it and also uh gift it to the next person and it's not something that we have to always try to possess and never let go and so that's what i thought as, as you were talking about the whole Oh yes, now into the suitcase. It's it's very it's very human like to to have that assurance that your that your needs are going to be covered and that you have, like I said, your needs covered and a little bit more. You know, so I'm going to make sure. So I'm on. I want to have my things. I want to have my surety. But uh, God is so generous that when when you just abandon yourself into His will, I mean, He'll give you everything you need everything believe me um so you know in, in the life of of, of of a missioner i mean having that confidence in, in the providence of god is it's a must what is one thing i mean for me i feel personally right i feel personally i think there is um things i need to work at you know things i i, I need to learn in approaching and i i, I look at this missionary kind of work that we're talking about that's really just encountering a neighbor and you know that there's you, you can go abroad that's one form but you, you'll so you can also encounter your neighbor next door right across the street in your neighborhood what is and so and in that that approach you know approaching a new community approaching a new person approaching your neighbor what is one thing you've learned or what are some mistakes you've made that you now have learned that like oh i probably needed to check myself on that um, you know, be it, you know, let's say, for example, you know, uh, I don't want to stick too much on this, but you kind of like the language, right? Like you don't approach someone and start speaking them in Spanish. You're like, oh, wait, let me first see what's your language, what's your what's your preferred, you know, comfort language. But stuff like that what was one thing that from when you started and I guess in life or even, let's say, you know, your time in Bolivia, like what's things that you've learned about yourself that you have to kind of like grow or mature from? Yes, I think that my biggest learning while I was in mission in Bolivia was to realize that no man is an island. You know, that you really need people around you. You you need to root in relationships in order to grow. I was a type of person that I would just be by myself all the time. I wouldn't um, have like really close friends. 
you know, I would, I would always just try to be just me by myself, you know, do my own stuff. Uh, don't, yeah, don't, don't bother people, just do it and things like that. But then when you get to, to a place where like literally there's no family members, there's no friends, you know, for the meantime, you're just building up friendships. But then you do need help. You do need help with the language. You need help with daily things like buying your food, paying your bills, asking people, where can I get this? Where can I get that? You need to start making friends with people. You need to start opening yourself to the people that are around you. And not only opening to them, but actually, like I said, rooting in relationships with people. with the locals, with the, pe- with the people. Now, this is very common in missionary life that you have a fear. I can, yeah, I can say you have a fear of rooting in relationships because you know that one day or the other, you're going to have to say bye-bye to people. You're not going to stay there forever. So um, it is hard sometimes on missions to say, okay, I have this really, really good friend, but guess what? maybe in two or three years, I'm, I'm out of this place and I'm going to be maybe in the other side of the world. And, you know, saying uh, bye to a friend, it's going to hurt, you know, people don't, don't, don't like to be separated, but it's also a process of, like I said, of it's, it's, a, you grow spiritually and you also grow personally, you know, to be able to manage um, your feelings and to keep mentally healthy, um, to, uh, to be able, like I said, to recognize that you need others, that you are not an island, that God has put you in this world to be a companion on the journey of, of other people. So like I said, to me, I think that was the greatest, um, learning uh during those two years uh to be vulnerable you know at some point to feel vulnerable and to 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 reach out to others um that's a helping hand yeah for me what and as you were talking one thing that i was that came to my mind is kind of just like maybe that's what countries governments as a whole need to kind of realize the interconnectedness and the relationships that are needed because uh, sometimes i feel like some some neighborhoods some communities tend to then want kind of like that we were expressing they just want to stay among themselves and not realize like really like where we're all as a whole human um race community family um we depend on each other we need to depend on each other and you know those relationships are are vital what are people not seeing when we approach our brother and sisters and you know, this is part of that conversation of encountering what, what, what are people not seeing or what's what's wrong what's the wrong mindset that people have that we may have in not seeing the other well, and, and I'm not sure if that's tied to kind of your mission, missionary work, but or your previous life experience. But what is something that people are not getting? And I think some of it you touched upon it. Um, you know, understanding language, understanding you know the context of people. You know, if they come from this area, 
they're used to this type of cuisine. You know, if they come in this kind of environment, they used to they're used to this type of uh, clothing thing. But what's something when, let's say, you know, next year or whenever you're you're sent somewhere else, what's something that a newcomer may not focus in on or realize that they should focus on? We need to encounter people right where they're at. We need to take our lenses off, our very own cultural lenses, our very own prejudices, and we have to to look around and see exactly, you know, what people are doing in in that culture, in that town, in that city. Sometimes um, people from North America uh, will tend to keep, like I said, their lenses on and believe that whatever they saw on TV or whatever they heard from a friend or whatever they saw on Facebook or social media or on a web page, oh, that's what it is. Well, no, that's not what it is. And it all starts with a smile. When, when, when you meet a person, uh, I think, I really believe this, it all starts with a smile and how are you doing to ask them. And if, if your feelings towards that person to approach them, to, to see what they need, if, if the feelings are, are true, um, God will take care of the rest. Um, like I said, I, I had wonderful experiences of, of pe- meeting people just, you know, using the public transportation system and just looking to the side and, hey, hello, good morning. How are you doing? And people would just look at it back and say, hey, how are you doing? Good morning. And they'll start talking to you about all the things that they're going through. You know, it's, it's, it's just amazing how, how the, you know, the, the, the grace of God just, just works when, but you gotta be willing, you gotta be willing to do it. And first of all, like I said, willing to do it and also willing to do it without expecting nothing in return. You're doing it because you love your brothers, you love your sisters and you just want to be there uh, for them. And like I said, and God will take care of the rest. But that's, I would say that that's one of the biggest mistakes that people can, can make when trying to approach <clears throat> people from another country, another culture, another language, to approach them with your own prejudices, with your own, um, like it said, um, ways of thinking. No, you got to take those lenses off and, and be there. Like I said, you're a student. You are there to learn. You are not a teacher. You're not the master. You're not Mr. I know it all. I mean, you're there to learn. And I feel like all this is tied to being, having God centered in our lives or having God as our focus. And I feel like without that, it won't necessarily work. In understanding kind of like the, the dynamic of we're all brothers and sisters, uh, God is our father, each and every one of us, you know, that, that's what kind of creates that um, framework or, or the foundation for, for all that. Or where, where, how were you able to pull that love, faith, dependency on God? Like for you, was it mainly daily mass? Was it 
reading scripture daily? Like, where, where do you get that source of kind of, uh, you know, relationship with God in order to then, you know, have that ability to be like, yes, I will smile to someone, even though I may not want to. I will approach this person, even though I don't want to. But where, where did you tap that kind of, uh, how, how were you able to tap that um, love of God? Um, I would trace this all back to my grandmother. I grew up with my paternal grandmother who lived just two blocks away from my home in Mexico. So I grew up with her. And even though she was a woman that uh, she never went to church, she was a woman that was not religious at all. She was a very kind soul. Her home was open to anyone. You know, uh, I remember that, you know, all three meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, she would cook this industrial amounts of food. And it was just her, myself, and my aunt, three of us. And we'd be like, why are you making? And she would always tell us, oh, there's somebody's going to come. Somebody's going to come. And eventually, every single day, people would show up, you know. And like I said, this was from, from Monday to Sunday, you know. And people loved, you know, going just there to sit down just there, you know, and in the in the sidewalk and just and just talk to her. You know, she was like the spiritual director of, of our town. People would just go there and, and you know. Uh, kind of just tell her everything that was going on with her, with, with, with their lives. And they felt so comfortable being, being around her. And she was, like I said, she was a very kind soul. She was uh, a person that, like I said, she would never be on a bad mood. She would always be laughing. She was a person that whatever little or much she had, she would share it. So I grew up, you know, watching all these, uh, good things about my grandmother that you know I just it just kept in my heart so when when it was time for me to you know do something I said well I want to do this to remember my grandmother and um, Marinol um, it's a religious society we are a Catholic religious society of uh, Catholic priests ordained priests and brothers and uh we also have lay missioners, uh, people that just want to engage in a two or four or six year period of mission. But we are very, how would I describe it? We are very orientated towards social work. You know, like I said, it's not just about prayers and it's not just about the catechism. It's not just about, you know, the traditional Catholic um, actions you know that that people can think of but marital has been very open to like it said you know providing uh food water schools health system um anything that the people need i think marital has been very very good on providing um the best way that they can to the people that they minister around the world and i just fell in love with with uh with that when, when, when I first met Marin a couple of years ago, that you had the freedom to do um, whatever, like really you willed, you know, as long as you're doing something good for humanity, there will always be a thumbs up for you in Marino. I, I see as you, as you just said, as you, you were just speaking, 
I see a parallel as you were talking about mentioning Marino, uh, your grandma, and the early church. I think because in all that, it really, I think for me, resonates the whole idea of like Christianity. It, it, it was more always like a personal kind of uh, living relationship. It, you know, you know, I that that's where it kind of always started. Um, you know, the the that that was church in, in, in a sense. You know, the 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 love that we've experienced, the love of God we experienced, we felt, and then being able to reflect that to others in, in the world. And I, I, I'm not sure if I, maybe I'm making too much out of it, but that that's the parallel i saw you you were just mentioning um i don't know i found that powerful but yes yes like uh the church the church is the people of god and when we speak the people of god literally it's the people everybody christians muslims jews buddhist uh catholic protestant it doesn't matter you know sometimes people believe that it's like Catholic versus Protestants round one or, you know, Protestants versus Jews round two. No, I think Pope Francis has been very clear on this. Um, we are not fighting with anybody. We are here to be really brothers and sisters. You know, humanity really needs, needs to comprehend that, that God has made every single human being as his own. We are an image of God. Therefore, skin color, religion, uh, race, culture, language, that shouldn't be a barrier to, to stretch out your hand to anybody out there in the street, even in your own family, in your own home. You know, this is another thing that I always tell people. Mission begins in your own house with the people that you live with. Then it extends to your neighborhood then it'll stand to your city. And then, you know, gradually, you're not going to go, you know, maybe you're, you're not doing very well in your home. And then you want to go to, I don't know where in the world to do missions. No, start with your own family, start with your own community. You know, you are needed there. Um, Mother Teresa of Calcutta was, was, you know, one of, I believe the finest saints, you know, she, she would always tell people, if you cannot help 100 people, don't do it. You cannot. If you cannot help 10 people, don't do it. You just can't do it. But help one. And your help, if you're helping just that one person, you are making a difference. And it's funny because we all, we all may not realize it, but there's always that one person every day that we we, we – Encounter, we realize or don't realize we have an encounter with that we can make that impact. Um, and then I, for me, I you know reflect on it very rarely, but I do reflect on it like, wow, I really failed failed that time, you know, earlier today, this morning in in, in that encounter. It's a deeper yet simple um, idea or kind of concept, just like that encounter is like. Yes. It happens every day. It happens every moment in our lives, but sometimes you can really miss it and, and not 
and, and, and we can make it to, we can believe it's something else when it's really something very basic. I, I want to end and just go with the basic um, three questions I asked my guests at the end of the interview. The first is, what is one scripture verse or part of the Bible that really resonates with you and why? I've always, um, since I heard this, this um, Bible passage, oh, 20 plus years ago, I was still a kid. I remember, I remember um, hearing it. And like I said, the very first time I heard it, it stayed with me for a lifetime is let the children come to me. You know, children are, uh, are put in the gospel as examples of purity as examples of, you know, having that confidence without even thinking about, it. I mean, you're, you're confident that your mom or your dad are going to be there for you. So when Jesus speaks of let the children come to me, it literally means children means everyone, everyone, uh, every person. So being like a child is, is, is the only way that we're going to, um, have a place in heaven. So to strive every day to be pure in, 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 in the eyes of God. And I think prayer also is, is um, it's a key to sustain your works. You cannot talk much about God and talk little to him. So prayer to have a, a deep and strong prayer life to sustain your works and sustain your faith sustain your life day by day that's that's uh, the key to to succeed what is one word or a couple of words that you like god to use in describing you first of all flexible second uh would be strong and third would be sensible you know they don't really match one with the other. You cannot be very strong and rigid and be flexible. And you cannot be very flexible. And then at the same time, you know, sensible to the things that are going around you. But I think that um, you, you, God has given me the ability to, to mediate one, one thing and the other. Like I said, according, according to the times according to the place where I'm at, you know, to have a healthy balance uh, in my life so that I can approach people um, in a healthy way too. And is there anything we can help promote if you would like other support or any final um, points you want to make that we may have missed or left out during this past uh um, hour or whatever 40 minutes we've we've been on well yes um you know to finalize um all that we do has to be in the name of of, of the lord jesus christ every work that we do uh is not is not that i i am helping people i am ministering to the people i i know it's i am i'm just a tool i'm just an instrument in the hands of god you know, so that humanity can just reach out to him, you know, and, and, and realize that we're here for a purpose. 
we as humans, we are on earth for a purpose. And we must, we know it's it's a journey that we must take to find what what am I what was I made for? What does God want out of me according to my state of life? If I'm a religious, if I'm a single person, if I am married, you know, according to your state of life, what is it that God's that God wants out of me? You know, like I said, the answer is not going to come in like in seconds. You must discover it day by day. But the discovering, the journey, you know, is going to be a joyful one. And it will eventually draw, draw you near to God day by day. So uh, I repeat again, prayer. And prayer, don't have, it doesn't have to be very difficult. Just make it simple. Maybe five minutes in the morning, maybe five minutes in the afternoon, and maybe five minutes at night. If you have more time, good for you. But if not, just don't wake up without thanking God for the new day. And don't go to sleep without also saying thank you for whatever happened on this day. Have that contact with God. You know, he's like the feel of, of our soul, of our body, of our person to keep on working. Anyone, anyone listening who is considering a missionary vocation as a, as a priest, as a brother, or just as a lay missioner, you know, someone who wants to commit um, to a certain period of time, you know, to the missions overseas, check out our Marinol webpage and go to vocations uh, on top. Um, our vocations director, Father Rodrigo Ulloa, uh, he'll be more than willing to help you out on the process and come check us out, you know, um, try the shoes of a missioner maybe for a while, you might like them. You know, the world nowadays needs more, more generous souls of, that are willing to, to, to give themselves uh, to others. Like I said, not necessary on a, on a, on a priestly or a, or a brother vocation, but just as, as a lay missioner, as, as a single man, woman, or as a family, you know, as a married man, as a married woman, we also have a place for you. Yeah, with us, with Marinal, we have summer immersion programs. It means that for a month or two months, I mean, you can go to Bolivia, you can go to Peru, you can go to Brazil, somewhere in Asia, somewhere in Africa, and be there for a month, visit with the missioners, visit with other lay missioners that are, that are present at the place, know their lives, talk to them, talk to the people. It might be the beginning of a great life adventure. Thank you, Diego, for sharing your knowledge and experience. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Please check out more information about Mary Knoll on their website, maryknoll.org. That's M-A-R-Y-K-N-O-L-L dot O-R-G. And if you enjoyed this episode, tune in for part two of this conversation, where we explore the topic of encountering God. We hope you keep tuning in for other episodes and keep sharing this podcast with others. God bless us all.